We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 130. It is an early morning for us, Scott, edition of the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Usually we record these in the afternoon or at night, but the Yankees played the Sunday night game, which John Sterling always complains about, and I feel his pain sometimes. But uh, I'm pounding the coffee this morning to get through this podcast. I know you usually drink drink beer during the podcast, so are you still drinking beer or you moved over to coffee? Yeah, couldn't do the beer this morning. I saw you giving uh, giving our, our, our guy in Australia some some shit about breakfast beers and you know committing to the beer during the game. But no, I am I am pounding the coffee. There's there's a, a full pot in front of me, and it will be uh, it will be filling the mug many times. So uh, I'm a fan of the morning ones. You know that. I think we're opposites. In the uh, in the way that we when we like to record, but after last night, you know, I think we should all be happy to record at any time because it's another sweep and uh, and it was glorious. It was it was a beautiful thing. Clearly, we're good luck for this team since we moved to the two per week episodes. The Yankees are pretty much undefeated. I know they had they struggled those first two games in Baltimore, but since then, seven game win streak. So. I think we deserve a lot of credit for this win streak. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're rallying people who who have not played well in the past. Some people are on the shelf because of us, but that's only temporary. And, you know, I think what we are is a, is a good motivating factor. I think what the what we did 
and and I think this is where we we deserve a lot of credit is the is the uh, no days off full off season of shows so the actual players could listen to us during the off season and really just get rallied up for for the beginning of this uh, of this stretch and the seven game win streak is is a result of that it's a direct result of that actually no days off asterisk no weeks off hashtag no weeks off right well like like we've been saying Chase Headley was obviously listening. It's the only it's the only plausible explanation for his play. Batting I think four hundred at this point. <laughs> He's literally batting four hundred. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's only two weeks. I mean, but, we we, we but keep still, saying that. I know. But it's uh it's two weeks and he's batting four hundred <laughs> and he's hitting in the fifth spot now and he's he seems like he's the most confident uh batter when he's in the when he's up at the box than than anybody. The dude yeah, just you notice yeah, that. he's got his he's like extremely confident. Like anything he can do anything. Oh no. You notice, though, he was slowly creeping up the lineup as Greg Bird was slowly dropping down Absolutely. the lineup. Absolutely, yeah. I, Every day. It was like Girardi was trying to slip it under our noses where he didn't want to move him from, like, the seven spot to the five spot. He just bumped him up one spot each day so we kind of wouldn't notice. Like when you put a lobster into a boiling part of, pot of water, that kills him instantly. But if you uh, were to boil them alive, which would be cru- cruel, kind of like what Girardi is doing with Chase Headley in the lineup, this analogy has gone off the rails really Yeah, because you, you still hear lobsters scream even when you put them in the pot. So your analogy <laughs> was, was a little off. The, uh, the, right. the thing about it is that it was, it was, a, clear, it was a clear decision for, for Bird going down. I mean, his struggles were, were yes. if you will, Headley-like. And Headley jumps up. And the dude is, you know, he's raking, he's stealing bases, he's he's bunting away from the shift. I mean, it's the guy is doing everything. He's an all-world player at this point. Well, like I said on Twitter, Headley stole Bird's talent like the Monstars stole the NBA players in Space Jam. <laughs> yeah, I, it was the it was the only thing I could think of because it was it was the most bizarre thing I'd ever seen, and and continues to be. And we're going to get into everything that happened over the last few days. Uh, before we do that, though. If you want 25% off in the fan shop, use code SWEEP. The Yankees have swept back-to-back series. It's awesome to see. A lot of great merchandise in the Bronx Pinstripes fan shop. I feel like we haven't mentioned a lot of the new gear, so so there's a lot of great hats in there. I know my dad was eyeing my hat this weekend. I was home for the weekend. We played golf on Saturday. And he's like, oh, what's that hat you got there? So I might get him one of those for Father's Day. Um, I, I did just give him the Game Over Mariano shirt, and he liked that as well. We got Rebuild the Empire, Unleash El Kraken, and obviously the Judgment Day and the Bird shirt. So go to the Bronx Pinstripes Fan Shop, use code SWEEP for 25% off. Another little update to the podcast, and this is exciting for Scott and I, is we have our first ad today. And it will come up later in the episode, but uh, we did not want to alarm you guys with the ad Uh, This is something that Scott and I have been preparing for for a while. We wanted to find uh, companies that fit with our personalities. And we think that this is the this is the best way to grow this podcast. And I mean, we've been doing it for two years with no revenue coming in. The only way to keep growing it, I mean, we moved to two two episodes per week. So if we want to continue growing it, we need a little bit of revenue. So this is exciting for us. And we definitely appreciate you guys supporting us um, in, in this process. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, we're we're not taking every single ad that comes into because we've had we've had a, a good number. We're we're being selective in the sense that we want to make sure that there's good benefits for all of our audience. Obviously, the um, the the onus for this whole show is about the Yankee fans. It's about you guys. We're Yankee fans, so we want to make sure that everything is is kind of in line with that. So um, we're excited. Uh, we're excited to to continue to grow the show, and it's and a lot of it obviously is is a result of you guys listening. So again, thank you very much. 
Why don't you tell some people about the June 10th event? You've kind of been keeping it close to the vest, getting people excited. Uh, so, so what's going on with those? Yeah, details? you know, I'm trying to slip out some information here and there, just uh, just so we can build a little bit of a, a buzz for this thing because it's going to be amazing. The June 10th event, which is the Yankees versus the Baltimore Orioles, which right there you got it. You got a an AL East showdown, which is going to be, you know, an important game at that point. I, Top two teams yeah, in the division I mean, right the, now. The Orioles are, are definitely rolling. They have a, Their pitching staff is a lot better than I think anybody expected. So um, anyway, that's going to be a great game. It's a 7.05 game, which is one of the only Saturday night games, which is perfect. That's what we've been waiting for so that we can have some festivities beforehand. And the festivities, which we announced last week uh, on the show and on Twitter also, we're doing a pregame party at Billy's with beer provided by the Bronx Brewery. It's their Bronx Banner ale definitely check it out it's delicious it's perfect for drinking spring summer it's actually a very very good beer and i have been drinking it all week and weekend (laughs) um you're i'm designing a custom bronx pinstripes shirt for the event and all of this will be had for one ticket price it's going to be a a one price it's going to be extremely reasonable in fact the value is going to be so high for this game that the the complete event ticket will actually be lower than the retail value of the ticket, of the game ticket itself. So, it's mad, which magic. is unbelievable magic that we are pulling out of hats. So, um, it's, it's 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 I'm really excited for it. We're working with the Yankees on this too, which is which is awesome. They want us there. Um, so, you know, tell your friends, tell everybody. We got a bunch of tickets. They're going to be on sale this week. I'm going to send out, building up the page right now, getting it ready to go, and we will uh, we'll tweet it out and, and tell everybody probably on the Thursday show where it is, but it may be out before that. Good stuff. Okay, so the Yankees are on a seven-game win streak. They've swept two series in a row. It's the first time they've started at home this good since 1998, and we all know what happened in 1998. I think everyone's kind of saying that sarcastically, but maybe in the back of their mind they're saying, eh, maybe, maybe this team can be something special. But it's one of those things where the Yankees are just finding ways to win because if you kind of look at the numbers, I mean – Thursday to Saturday games, the Yankees left an entire village on base every game. They were one for 30 with runners in scoring position, and they struck out 17 times on Saturday afternoon and still somehow found a way to win. Yeah, the amount of the amount of free passes that this the the two games that you have to circle are the Carlos Martinez the, this season, Carlos Martinez, and then the Wade Miley right was with Baltimore when he walked. I forget, seven or eight guys up until the... Well, he walked Holiday five times yeah, alone. until the fifth or sixth inning, and they hadn't scored on them. So for whatever reason, the Yankees, when they get in these free pass, these games should be blown away by the third by the third inning, second, third inning, when you get in that many walks. And Carlos Martinez was was the, was the a very similar situation. Uh, dude ha- had zero control, zero control. And, you know, when the opportunities were there, the Yankees just couldn't take advantage of it at all, and it was frustrating watching a guy throw 99 miles an hour with frosted tip dreads. <laughs> That's an interesting. It was look, a very it? interesting look. He, we had the uh, the guy from uh, Viva Albertos on last week, and he said Martinez was their best pitcher, and I could kind of see what he's talking about. I mean, his stuff is filthy. He reminds me of Edison Volquez. I don't remember when Edison Volquez first came up. I think he was with Cincinnati, yeah. and then he got traded for Josh Hamilton to Texas. Like this guy was electric. He threw, you know, he. I, it was a very similar repertoire where he threw, um, you know, he had some nasty breaking stuff. He threw really hard. But he walked a ton of guys, and I haven't seen much of Carlos Martinez. I've seen two starts, that one, and I, I watched one at some other point. I don't even remember when I saw it. But 
you know, the the guy obviously the control is is his um, is his Achilles heel. If he can control that fastball and control his stuff, then he's he's dominant. I mean, he's got that he's got the dominant stuff. So I don't know if he's St. Louis's Michael Pineda with with like all the all the bags of tri- you know all the tricks in the bag and just can't use them, or or this is a guy that just had a bad day. It that's one of those games though on Saturday where last season or the last couple seasons, the Yankees would have blown that game in the seventh yeah. inning. And you would have said, well, they left all those runners on base. It should have been a seven to one game. And instead it was only a two to one game. And the bullpen just had a bad, had a bad day or whatever it was. So I've seen that game play out so many times and the Yankees end up losing and they ended up winning on Saturday. So it kind of gives me a little feeling that maybe this team has something. Maybe they're maybe they're better than we thought. I'm not saying it's definite. I'm not saying this is the World Series team, but that's a game they lose last season. Well, you look at the comparisons. They're, t- they're talking about the best start since 1998, and so there's the the comparison of the 1998 team. But really, you're you're looking back if you're looking at history. This team is more of the the 95-96 team where these the new guys are starting to come up, the veterans are being mixed in, they're playing their role and and you're seeing that kind of develop. And as the year goes on and the the rookies and the younger guys develop that confidence and and become, you know, more established players by by playing every game, then you see the real potential of the team and it's so early and not to mention we don't have our starting shortstop and our starting catcher who is uh, the best hitter on the team. You know, this is this is a team that is incomplete at this point and is still playing very well. And I think when you're looking at the the whole scheme of things, there's a lot of things to get excited about because they are doing this without you know two of their best players. Definitely, and the offense is doing things other than hitting throws in scoring position that are that are right. They lead the league in stolen bases. Wow, wow. That's another you can't predict. That's another you can't predict baseball. Chase season. Headley has how many three? <laughs> Three, I think. (laughs) So, I mean, that's one thing that we said in spring training. Oh, we hope Gardner runs more. We think Ellsbury's going to run more because he was doing that in spring. But the whole team, I mean, Judge has stolen a base. Headley's stolen three bases. Torres can run. So it's kind of a lot of different points in this lineup can run. And it's not something we've seen when the lineup was filled with Mark Teixeira and Alex Rodriguez and Brian McCann and... Uh, Carlos Beltran. And, and for as much as we have gotten on Brett Gardner for having all world speed and not being able to have the feel for stealing a base consistently, as of last night, he was leading the, the majors in or the AL, whatever the, the number was that they put up, in stolen bases. So he's running. He's yep, he's going out there and he's running and and you know he's taking chances and I love it. That that's what has to happen. He's got he's got to use one of his best assets, and that's his legs and his speed. And you know it's it's working yeah, well. He's fast oh, enough. Damn right, he's fast enough. I mean, he's enough. fast enough. Um, no, what I'm saying is, him and Ellsbury are fast enough where I'm I'm com- I'm confident in that if they run say 50 times this season, they're going to have a good enough percentage where it's worth it to the yeah, team. I agree. So, I and and let's face it. I mean, speed is probably their both of those guys' best assets. So if they're not using their best asset. They're not valuable players. And I think the big knock was that Gardner had speed, used used the speed in, in certain circumstances, but didn't have the didn't have the feel to steal a base. Or like he just wasn't a very good Definitely. base runner, a base stealer. Um I, and I don't know, maybe he's been working on that. Maybe it's just maybe it just means that he just needs to be more aggressive and and then it looks like he can do it more because he's that fast. So I, I'm glad he's got the the green light. I'm glad he's running early. 
you know, and we're, we're getting sneaky fast guys like Chase Headley stealing bases. And that's all instinct. That's all on the most likely on the pitcher and, and looking and seeing something and taking every advantage that he can. So, you know, you got to give credit to him for doing that, too, because he doesn't have the, the, the greatest speed by any means. But he's looking for, you know, little things in in the mechanics of the pitcher or, or something in the catcher or whatever. And he's taking advantage of them and it's, it's working. So keep going. God, if you rewind this podcast a, a full season and and tell me that we're going to be talking about Chase Headley batting 400 next April and stealing three bases, I I would have I don't know would, would not obviously would not have believed you, but I just can't believe that this is where we are. This is what this is the reality. And right this now. is a phenomenal reality. If Chase Headley is 2012 Chase Headley, he's a real baseball player that put up puts up real numbers and can actually contribute in a very positive way. He's playing good defense. You know, whether you want to get on him with his throws, I don't think he's made any throwing errors since the, the last little rant you went on on the error that really wasn't an error <laughs> on him. He's been making great plays. I mean, the guy plays a solid third base. It seems like he has completely gained the confidence back of the player that he was for that one year. For that one year, he bottled it all up, and he's he's drinking that potion now every day. All I'm going to say is I'm keeping a close eye on him. Of course you are. The bullpen has been phenomenal, which we knew was going to be a thing. Adam Warren has retired 20, all 20 of the batters he's faced. Batances has actually kind of looked a little shaky to me, but uh, he's gotten out of these jams. I mean, um, it was what was that game? It was the, the Thursday game against Tampa where he had first and third no outs, and he ended up getting out of it. He struck out Longoria, and I was when I saw Longoria up with first and third no outs, I'm like, ah, the Yankees are screwed because he's – the number one Yankees killer right now that David Ortiz has retired. So he got out of, out of that jam. Chapman's been great. We knew the bullpen was going to be a strong point in this team, and it has been. But overall, they're fourth in the league in Team ERA, and that's because after the first time through the rotation, when they all sucked except CeCe, the rotation's been good. The whole entire second uh, time through plus the, the first few times through the third time. So if this rotation is Oh, is half as good as what we've seen over the last few days. I mean, that totally changes the outlook of this team. Oh, absolutely. Because then, then when you're looking at, you know, your occasional bad start, you have this this beast of a of a bullpen to come in and save the day. And they have guys that Jordy has a lot of confidence that can go long too. I mean, I think Mitchell struggled a little bit last night, but I think he's a he's a guy definitely that that Jordy has confidence in to to you know get him a couple innings. Obviously, Warren's a guy that has the the confidence of Girardi, uh, you know probably more than anybody in the in the back of that bullpen. It's it's funny, Batances is almost taking a page from uh the David Robinson script. David yeah, Robertson, yeah. Houdini. Yeah, getting little Houdini action where you're throwing yourself into the, your own fire and then getting out of it. But hey, as long as he keeps getting out of it, that's good. But you keep you keep doing that. You keep playing with fire for long enough and it's it's absolutely gonna gonna burn you. So hopefully well, every time every time Batances comes in in the eighth inning and walks a guy or gives up a leadoff single, I just picture Randy Levine's face kind of lighting up like, ah, see, I told you so. I was very close to tweeting something out last night about with a, <laughs> just a giant Levine face on it. Yeah. At what point? So I think Clippard has, I mean, Clippard had that heart attack save on Saturday. And then the night before, he gave up a long fly ball that I think if it was an August game, that ball's in the third row. So he's kind of looked a little a little shaky, whereas Warren, like we said, has been dominant. Do you think there's a point where Girardi flip-flops them and, and stops going to Clippard in the seventh and starts going to Warren? I mean, I don't think it's anytime soon. I think that Girardi, looking down, sees a zero 
you know, zero ERA bullpen over the over this winning streak and is happy with the way things are happening. Yes, Clippard had I thought that ball was out off the bat for sure. I thought it was a gone. Yeah. And um Well, so that game I think there must have been some sort of wind blowing in because you remember that ball judge hit and it sounded like a shotgun and it, it went to like medium deep yeah. left field. There was something going on in the in the stadium that night where I think wind was blowing in or, or whatever. Yeah, it wind was. tunnel was reversed that day. The yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's going to mess around with anything. I mean, I think it's going to be more of a fluid situation. I don't think the seventh inning is is a complete lock, and I think as the season goes on, we're going to see Girardi doing more more uh, toying around with Adam Warren. I think Adam Warren is going to be that piece that he moves around. So yeah, so. When when the home run off Greg Bird's bat went to White Plains last <laughs> night, the only person more relieved than Greg Bird was me. Well, <laughs> and that guy in and the, that guy in right field who uh, who who, yeah. who reached over and dropped the ball, which should have been a home okay. run. Yeah, like first of all, let's talk about that. Replay, replay is a bad year, bad year for replay. So yeah, and far. it's gotten so much attention in the off season too. This is I don't understand this. Okay, so we we go back and we look at these we look at these plays. They're the guys on the field aren't even doing it. They're not rushed. They're not looking at some small screen that's taken out of the game. That's that's not even part of the equation at this point. There are dudes in a studio looking at every camera angle that's available, possible on the face of this earth. They probably have thirty more than we even know about. They could probably zoom in with all these crazy cameras and and do 360s and all sorts of... And they still can't get it right. I don't understand how you cannot get that right. The ball was so far above the fence, and the dude barely reached over. It was a home run. I mean, I, I, was, I wasn't even done complaining about it until Bird hit the home run. So like you said, they probably have um, more camera angles than we even know about. I gotta imagine they have camera angles positioned along the line of the fence. So they can sort of like in an end zone uh, in football where it's uh, down the line of the end zone. So you can see if the ball crosses. Like, wouldn't you imagine they have that in baseball? I know the fence yeah. curves, so you got to position a few different ones. But, I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar business. You'd think they'd have You'd that. You'd think they would have that, but I don't think they do. I don't think they have those. Because well, they if should, they did, we'd see them on TV, I think. Because that would be a really cool shot. And I feel like they would show that to us. But that's I mean that that was clearly a home run last oh, night. Oh, there's no doubt about it. We don't, I didn't need that camera to tell you it was a home run though. That's the problem. The problem is is that the camera angles that we got on television were just fine. The ones that we saw on television showed us that that was a home run. That there's no reason why you don't t- say that that's a home run. And and the fact that there's like and, indisputable evidence or blah blah blah. I'm like this is not the NFL. I, the language keeps getting crossed over from football to baseball and it's ridiculous. Like that, it, if if you see it call it as such that's what replay is for it's there to get it right pisses me off yeah it really does because you know what that was a long one too i don't remember how long it was but it felt long oh yeah it took like four minutes and you're doing this and then you get it wrong what is the point of that (laughs) what is the point exactly i feel like the umps are also kind of so i think the umps on the field are relying on the fact that they know they have replays so they're they're kind of making lazy call like I feel like the umps on the field are getting more calls wrong than normal, too. I don't know. I don't know what's going into it, but, you know, you, you could think you think that a, a bunch of guys in a studio who are looking at this w- would get it right and do it fast because it was pretty obvious on the first, maybe second shot. You know, give me a couple camera angles, done, home run. Yeah. Well, like you said, thank God Bird hit that moonshot because not only did it save the Yankees from getting screwed on a replay call, but it also got him going. 
Uh, I was so relieved. The jinx is off. He went three for three and had a walk. He hit balls hard all night. He hit a fo- another foul ball home run later in the game. Um, it Bird was so lost at the plate before Sunday night. I mean, it looked like he, he had never played baseball before. He was getting beat on 90-mile-an-hour fastballs like I would get beat on 90-mile-an-hour fastballs. It was the weirdest thing to watch. And it was almost become to the point where I was going to say, do they need to put him on the DL just to clear his mind? But thank, thankfully, Sunday night, something clicked. Clearly something clicked because he looked confident at the plate from that first swing when he hit that ball halfway up the bleachers. And it started in the game before that. I mean, I, I even sent something out. I called that home run, by the way. The the uh, game before that, when he took a walk and then he hit a ball in play, it just looked like he was more comfortable in those at-bats. When he took that walk, it looked like he was seeing the ball and and then he made good contact on a ball that was in play. And then the next home, next shot, boom. The the fact that that you know you have to work through these, I, we we just can't forget that that baseball can really get people in long streaks, and it I think it's so hard to get out of them, especially when you're a new guy pressing as hard as Bird probably was. I mean, he wasn't saying that, but you know he was, and I'm just glad he finally well, got out of was... that and, and was able to just loosen up a little bit because you could tell it was he's a lot more comfortable at the plate right now. It was. Yeah, it was alarming for us and for Yankee fans because he was the best player in spring. I mean, I I, I jokingly called him Mr. March on Twitter because it's it's very similar to what I mean, Tanaka he, just did, right? I mean, it's like Tanaka and Bird went, you know, started the season holding hands because they both were terrible and they both had phenomenal spring trainings. It's like they got burnt out. Uh, you know, they just they hit such a high at the end of spring training that their only place for them to go was down. And, and now it's, you know, ho- hopefully we're seeing a level off and they can get back to where they should be. Yeah. Bird, Bird is, uh, he was moving, moved down the lineup, which we, I agreed with. I mean, you couldn't keep sticking him in the three spot when he looked lost at the plate, but he's, it looks like he's got a swagger back. The funny God. thing is, is if you look at what happened with Greg Bird struggling and then getting, and getting tossed down, if he had been a 10 year veteran, he would have stayed in that spot the whole time. Yeah. Teixeira yep. stayed in that spot. Arod stayed in that spot for exactly. a long time, so. and and it hurt so bad when they when they stayed in that spot. Well, that's a reason why we think maybe Girardi does better with a young team because he doesn't feel like he owes these kids anything. That's, it's exactly right. He, he he owed veterans. He owed Arod and Teixeira the fact that they had the long history on their baseball reference page. So I'm going to leave you in the three and four spot because I have confidence you're going to come out Same of it. Same thing happened with Jeter in the they two They didn't spot. come out of it. They didn't come out of it last year. There's so. no doubt. I mean, it's it's so obvious that Girardi now can do what he wants to do. And and now you see what's happening with guys who are struggling or, or just the moves that he's making. And then you look back at similar situations two, three, four years ago, and there was a very different decision, a very different outcome for what Girardi was doing. So it definitely had him hindered. There's no doubt about it. So I'm, I'm glad he's, uh, he's, care- he's free again to make the decisions that he thinks are best for the baseball team on that day. Aaron Judge hitting seventh, Bird hitting eighth, Jacoby Ellsbury batting fourth, Chase Headley batting fifth. It's bizarro Yankees. And it's working. It's beautiful. <laughs> so the Greg Bird jinx is off, but is the Matt Holiday jinx on? No. Scratched, scratched from Saturday's lineup with a with a stiff back. Old man, that's an old man injury, like yeah. you said. You you know what he's talking yeah. about. I wrote. I don't know if you read this on Friday in my takeaways blog. I wrote that Matt Holiday might have more in the tank than I originally thought because I mean he was leading the league in on base percentage when I wrote that, and he had a bad night Friday, and obviously it was probably because of the stiff back, and he got he got scratched, but. Um, 
is I think we might have eh, I'm a little concerned. <laughs> I thought you didn't believe in jinxes, first jinx. of all. That, that wasn't that. Well, I thought I was the one that believed in, in the jinx. Purely, strictly, strictly as it pertains to no hitters and perfect Got it. games. Okay. So I don't think this is anything, you know, unless unless something comes up later and, and we're seeing that it was more than just a, you know, back stiffness. I, I, he's a 36 year old dude. He's, uh, he's, he's a guy that's. This is going to happen uh, throughout the course of the season. He played a full spring training, he's been playing. Uh, practically every day, so he needs some days off. It's going to happen. I mean, if anybody was expecting him to play uh, 162, you're insane. It wasn't going to happen. Obviously, this guy's going to need some time. And with a team rolling like this, with other guys to put in that are hot, why not do it? I mean, Aaron, Aaron freaking yeah. Hicks is, is lighting it up. I mean, so there's there's <laughs> opportunities now for, for you to get a rest because we do have players that are playing out of their minds. So Matt Holiday comes over from the Cardinals. Do you think he used Dollar Shave Club when he had to shave? He probably did. Dollar Shave Club is the smarter choice. Get a great shave at a great price, conveniently delivered right to your door. Scott, I used the product for the first time, and it's an extremely good product. It's I don't know. I know you have a beard, <laughs> so you don't really shave much anymore. But but me, I'm compliant with the Yankees, just like all the players have to be. So I shaved during the season. And going to CVS or going to one of these stores to buy razors is the most annoying thing. Dollar Shave Club is an awesome life hack. It's a no-brainer choice. Uh, if you want to go buy cheap disposable razors and cut your face up, be my guest. But these are extremely good. Uh, I got the executive razor with the Dr. Dr. Carver Shave Butter. Uh, that stuff is smooth on your skin. That was my favorite part of the product. Uh, I don't know about you. But uh, it gives an extremely smooth shave. Um, the Dr. Carver Shave Butter is transparent for a more precise shave. So if you're shaving up around the sideburns, you can actually see where you're, you're cutting the line. If you got that big foamy white stuff, you can't really see that. It helps prevent ingrown hairs and uh, fights razor bumps. So uh, you can make the smarter choice by going to Doctor, excuse me, by going to Dollar Shave Club. The the funny thing is, is that I actually got the when I got the razor, started using it. I was like, I have a beard. This is not going to be a good fit. But let me tell you what: the back of the razor has a straight edge, and now I'm clean around the uh, the edges of my beard. My wife is extremely happy with it, and I do agree that the the uh, Doctor Doctor Carver's shave butter is some good stuff because you can actually see what you're doing, especially for dudes with beards like me. It actually makes you, uh, it allows you to do something that you can't do with other razors and get a precise shave for a limited time for all Bronx Pinstripes podcast listeners. New members get their first month of the executive razor with a tube of Dr. Carver's shave butter for only five bucks with free shipping. And then after that, razors are only a few bucks a month. In the first box that you get, you get like a big heavy razor. It's a metal razor. Thing is heavy. It's it's a uh, it's it's solid, uh, and you get a full cassette of four cartridges, and a tube of the shave butter. There are no hidden fees. There are no commitments. You can cancel any time. After that, you just have to uh, you get the razors, which are only a few bucks a month. So join Dollar Shave Club today. Go to dollarshaveclub.com/bronx. That's dollarshaveclub.com/bronx. Awesome. So. Thursday's game, Severino was back on the mound, and after his first so-so start, he looked dominant against the Rays. 11 strikeouts in seven innings, and for a while, we weren't sure if he was even going to get the win because the Yankees' bats weren't doing anything. Uh, but the interesting thing about Severino's start, I thought, was that he was going fastball slider the whole night. 
and his slider was was great. He was throwing it for strikes when he needed to. He was putting it in the dirt when he needed to. We didn't see the changeup. So while it was a great start, he was only a two-pitch pitcher, but it was working for him. The thing about Severino with that start as well is the fastball slider were phenomenal. They were on, and when he was in... When he was good coming out of the bullpen last year, that's what we saw him use, right? He didn't really use the changeup very much, but then he, you know, the struggles came in when, when he started going through the, the batting order a second and third time. While he didn't use the changeup often, he still used it. And I think that's the key. I think the fact that he just needs to show it enough, and even if it doesn't work well, even if it's not an out pitch or a great pitch, he just needs to keep showing it you know, every once in a while so that the batters know it's there and that he will throw it. That, that to me, is the most important thing. And, like, you're, you're saying that it wasn't used as much and it wasn't used as an out pitch and it wasn't you know, his most effective pitch, but Romine was still calling it. And I think last year when he was, you know, getting into trouble with his starts, they completely went away with it, uh, away from it. And then, you know, then you're, uh, you're absolutely a two-pitch pitcher. But if you're showing it, even if it's not good, and I and – I, and I think a lot of people don't realize that even if you show it when it's not a good pitch, it's still being shown and it's showing that you will throw it and they, they have to look out for it. So I think that's the key. What I liked about the start from Severino was he got stronger as the game went on. Not only, I mean, his stuff stayed consistent throughout the entire start. He was throwing 96, 97 as the game wore on, but he looked more confident on the mound. He was he was throwing the pitch and then he was right back on the mound ready to throw the next pitch he wasn't he didn't look stressed he didn't walk around the mound he didn't look like he he did he was confused on the mound so I really liked his his confidence which we did not see at all last season as a starter as as a reliever we saw it but as a starter we never saw that kind of swagger that he had you know I I think a lot of the a lot of the credit that we need to we need to give credit to for these starts. Not only uh, I know yeah, who you're not only say. the pitchers, but I'm telling you, Romine is calling one hell of a game. He really is. The oh. guy. It's not what I thought you were oh, going to okay. say. The guy is obviously a, a a dependable and reliable backstop that has the confidence of these guys. That when he throws something down, you know I, I haven't seen many shakeoffs. They're throwing what Romine's putting down, and. You know, I think a lot of credit goes to him for for taking his defense and and his game calling. You know, it's so, that, I mean that was why we knew about Austin Roman. It had nothing to do with his offense. It had everything to do with the way he called the game and the way his defense was. So a lot of credit goes to him. And and hopefully this is a fluid situation where you know Romine and and Gary Sanders are working in tandem and and they can really get these these good game plans for these guys and and get keep them going on this on this path because Severino, like you said, his slider was filthy. And when that slider's on and you're showing a couple other pitches, he's extremely tough. Because when you throw high 90s with a wipeout slider and an occasional changeup, good luck. Because that's that's tough to hit. We actually have a mailbag question about Romine and his game calling coming up. But but I was gonna, I thought you were going to say Pedro Martinez oh, deserves yeah, yeah, credit yeah. For, for seven No, years. I'm not giving Pedro, Pedro Martinez credit. Pedro tweeted about his performance that night. He said I, I, something like, I'm proud to see Severino... Uh, what he did on the mountain or something. Yeah, and like that's that. great. Okay, fine. I'm glad they work together. Hopefully it helped. But I will never give him credit. I, I forgot about <laughs> that, to tell you the truth. Austin Romine is the guy that I'm giving credit to. There you go. I was I was mocking Aaron Hicks before the start because he was batting second, and Hicks had looked terrible up until that night. But then Hicks single-handedly wins that game with two home runs, one from each side of the plate. The home run from the right side of the plate was in the seventh inning, and it was the go-ahead shot. It was a two-run homer, so... Again, the the I feel like everything I say, 
the opposite happens. Well, I think everything we've seen, the opposite is happening. That's that's the crazy thing with all the guys that that we have mocked and made fun of and have been on our on our hit list for for a year plus are the guys that are that are looking like real baseball players and coming out there and contributing in an extremely positive way in a, in a time that is, is extremely needed with Gregorius and Sanchez down. So you need guys to step up at those points, and that's exactly what's happening. And it's coming from very, very unlikely sources. It's coming from everywhere. That's the, that's the beauty of this. I mean, up and down the lineup, you're seeing guys hit, which is tremendous. Yeah, it's coming from, like, it's coming from Hicks batting second, and... Ellsbury batting I think it'll change I think it's going to change so I think Hicks will probably change once we um once we get all our guys back healthy but do do you mind him batting second as the lineup stands right now I mean it's working I, I I can't say anything negative about the lineup because if I were to say something that would be you know more conventional or you know, you're looking at these guys' baseball cards and you're saying, well, he doesn't deserve to be there. It would sound like a reasonable argument, but it's not what's happening on the field right now. So, no, I have I have full confidence in what Drew Girardi is doing right now. He has... He's loving this left-right thing. He's all... I mean, he's so he's so dedicated to this left-right thing. Ellsbury's batting clean. I, lo- I like that. You know, Right now, Joe Girardi probably has... More confidence in I have more confidence in him than I have had in a very long time, a very long time. <laughs> oh, what a difference a seven game win streak makes! He's doing everything right. I mean, it seems like everything he's doing, every move he's making, is the right move. So how can you how can you possibly fault anything that Girardi's doing, including the lineups, including the bullpen, everything? It's good. Tanaka pitched on Friday versus St. Louis, and he gave up the two-run shot in the first. He settled into the game a little bit, but then he got tired towards the seventh inning. He still, it was a better start than his first two starts, but he still did not look like Tanaka. No, he didn't, but the I think the beauty about this start is that he did struggle in the beginning, gave up the home run, and then fought back and, and you know, stayed through the game and was, uh, what did he get? He got through six and a change, right? Six and change. Six yeah. And so change. he was in the seventh inning. That's what you want from from uh, from your starters. Get into the sixth, get into or get into the seventh inning, and then hopefully get through the seventh inning and then hand it to the bullpen. But if if not, get into that seventh inning, and that's a that's a good start. I mean, the guy obviously has had struggles in the beginning of the season, and I think we're we're seeing that you know that that uh, that next level that Tanaka is finally you know coming to form, a la Greg Bird, with the exception of Montgomery, who made his debut. All the starters have gone in at least into the seventh inning on their second and third times through. Good for them. This is that's good stuff, right? This is what this was the biggest. This was the biggest issue that's that we saw coming the win- into the season was the start, was the uh, the rotation. If the rotation cleans up and the rotation becomes, you know, th- what we're seeing. I mean, it's not going to be what we're seeing this past in this winning streak. It's it's not sustainable, most likely. You know, the the fact that CC's coming out there and dominating and and pitching like like. Not like old CC, but results are like old CC. Uh, then, then this team is going to be filthy. <laughs> but you know, at some point, we're gonna we're gonna see struggles, and you know, hopefully, we can we can stay at a at a, at a rotation where the three of the five guys are getting into the sixth and seventh inning, and and that's something that we could win a lot of games with. Mm-hmm. They uh, they completed the sweep obviously last night Sunday night uh, against St Louis they finally broke that game open late in the game uh, Romine got a big uh, big clutch hit to break that game open but but Pineda who was coming off that that perfect game bid so you and I 
everybody was aware <laughs> that things could go south with Pineda because that's his makeup. He didn't have the same stuff that he had on opening day, but he, he still gave him seven innings and two runs. So to me, that's almost more of a step in the right direction than his perfect game. I bit. agree. I think following up that, that opening day at Yankee Stadium with another good outing under the lights, ESPN, Sunday night baseball, you know, uh, uh, going for the sweep. This, these are all the things. Like, you're going for the sweep. It's, it's almost like having two outs or two strikes, right, for Pineda. It's, this is like a, an, an entire game with two outs. We're going for the sweep, trying to, to complete the deal. And he came out and delivered. And you're right. When, you don't have, when he didn't have as good stuff as he did on, uh, on Monday, which, you know, you're not going to have that very often because that was wipeout, like, phenomenal, unbelievable stuff. And you still got through, and you could you could see that he was confident still. And and that home run, he was extremely angry about that home run, which made me happy. You know, there was it wasn't the same like f- hands flailing, clueless Pineda, like oh dope dope left another one up. No, he was angry that he he missed the spot and that Molina caught it. So I'm I'm very cautiously optimistic still, but but optimistic that that hopefully he's turning a corner in a contract year. You know, we'll see. That's the that's sort of the the that might be the mantra of this win streak. We're cautiously optimistic. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of things that that are are going his way if he has a good year, and uh, you know maybe he needs that incentive, and that's that's good for us this year. Mm-hmm. The Yankees are going uh, to uh, excuse me. They're staying at home to play the White Sox to try and continue their streak, trying to make it eight tonight. Uh, Quintana is not scheduled to pitch, even though. Um, that might be a bad thing considering he's kind of struggled this season. Maybe the all the trade rumors are getting in his head. Does Brian Cashman get even more credit by seeing a Quintana line of 0-3 with a 6 ERA? Are we giving... Maybe this is the time he pounces and, and buys him cheap. Yeah, well, I don't think they're selling anybody cheap at this point. They'll just hold on to I him. Know, but, know. the uh, you know, look, got to give Cashman some credit for holding his cards close you know, close to his vest and, and making sure that... He, he's he's making only the right moves, and you know obviously it's early in the season. Quintana could come back and have a phenomenal year, but he's struggling up until this point. So this is a this is this is a team where where the Yankees could continue their streak. There's no doubt about it. I want to do a little bit of an update on the ALEs before we get into mailbags. So the Orioles are um, now I think tied with the Yankees with eight, eight and three, or the Yankees not? Do the Yankees have eight or nine wins anyway? Um, the Orioles have been good this season. We saw them last weekend in Baltimore. They took two out of three from the Yankees, but they just had Chris Britton go on the deal. So that's obviously going to be a killer for them because he's the, he's got 50 something like consecutive saves or, or something crazy like that. Yeah. The dude is uh Zach Britton, by the way, I think Chris, Chris Britton was, who was Chris Britton? He was, I feel like he pitched for the Yankees in like the, in the, in, it, did I say Chris yeah. Britton? There was a, there was a Chris Britton at some point. I feel like in a in a revolving yep. in a revolving oh, God, uh, rotation. I remember. But this fat piece of <laughs> but shit. But Zach Zach Britton is the most dominant closer I think uh, right now. I mean him and, and Chapman. I think you could by looking at the the stats and the consecutive you know innings that that Britton has, he's he's got to be the guy. That's a big deal for him going on the DL. The pitching staff, like we mentioned earlier, is definitely the Achilles heel for the Orioles. They're going to score a ton of runs. Uh, I think especially their their bullpen. You know their their starting rotation seems like it's it's a lot better. I don't. Last year they did enough to to get them to where they needed to be, um, but not having that that anchor at the at the back of your bullpen is huge. So, you know we'll see. It's forearm stiffness that that's uh, that's scary stuff. Hearing that. 
Tanaka had that. Yeah, you don't. You never want to hear that. As we've said with Tanaka, the forearm is connected to the elbow. <laughs> the Red Sox are seven and five, but they're last in the league in home runs, and I don't think that's going to last all season. So uh, I think their offense is going to be good. They've got a ton of great hitters, so um, they're they're winning despite not having their best. Uh, their their offense really clicks, so that's something to keep an eye out for. Chris Sale's been been nasty. He finally got his first win, but uh, he's been nasty so far. The Rays are six and seven. Their starting pitching's been decent, and that's going to have to carry them. But but the biggest story out of the AL East, and the one I I'm getting the most enjoyment out of, is the Blue Jays are off to a ten a two and ten start. So all of those brand new Blue Jays fans that we saw in the last two seasons are probably jumping off the bandwagon, putting their brand new Blue Jays hats and jerseys into the fires at this point. Yeah, they're not going out and buying those red Blue Jays hats. That's uh, it's a god awful uniform. The I love that the Blue Jays are struggling because it's just they're back in the basement where they belong. All these fans that came out of the woodwork could go back and watch hockey again and just just stop it because it's it's embarrassing. You're embarrassing yourselves for coming out for two years. The the fact that they're struggling is, is just phenomenal to me. But you know, you got to believe that their starting pitching is going to come back and, and get them into some games. I do believe that their offense is going to struggle. I think Tula Whiskey is getting up there in age. Uh, Donaldson's really, to me, the, the one. He's hurt. Well, he, well he's also, hurt. he was one of the biggest beneficiar, uh, beneficiaries of uh, Edwin Encarnacion. And you're going to see a dip because Encarnacion is not there. And he really doesn't have that, that, you know, that support that he did in the lineup. Tulowitzki's not the same guy. Bautista's not the same guy. So I think we're going to see a decline in offense significantly. And maybe their young pitching can, can bolster them back up. But, you know, we'll say hopefully not. The, well, the thing about the Blue Jays is they're, I, they're a better, way better team than 2-10. and 10, But they might, they're going to put themselves in a hole where it doesn't matter. They just might not be able to climb out of it. And so they might be putting themselves out of the race early. The Rays are one of those teams that are going to be uh, just a pain in the ass, I think, all year long. They have a scrappy bunch, so if their offense clicks on a certain day, you know, they, they can support it with good starting pitching because the, the top of their rotation is is pretty good with um with Archer and uh, uh what's his name? Um the dude with the funky delivery. I can't even think of his name right now. But they Cobb, Cobb. thank you. They um they, they have the pitching uh, in the rotation that that can sustain some ball games and come out and just be kind of a pain in the ass. Their bullpen's trash and, and they have enough Jumbo. They have they have a You're lot of the Jumbo same Diaz? guys it seems like on offense too you know like a lot of those scrappy dudes who yeah a lot of mediocre yeah. utility players so <laughs> other than Longoria and and they'll Kiermaier. play good defense yep okay let's get into mailbags before we do though please take a minute to rate and review the podcast in iTunes or whatever it is, or wherever it is that you listen to us if you enjoy the podcast give us a five star review and rating and Scott and I definitely appreciate it and it helps us out immensely when people are searching for these podcasts. Okay, the first mailbag is from Mike, and he says, this question is probably in the back of everyone's head, so I'm going to ask it. As of now, we're on a six-game win streak, and I think everyone is wondering, is this win streak a fluke? We've been horrendous with risp opportunities during the streak, but we've gotten bailed out by incredible starting pitching in our bullpen. I know for a fact that we will not get this type of pitching out of our starters for the entire season, but I also do think our offense will pick up once Didi and Gary come back. So we've kind of touched on some of these points, but another thing to why this streak has been going on is because Headley and Ellsbury and other veterans like Gardner, who has five stolen bases, are playing extremely well. 
So that is actually not something we expected. We expected the kids to carry the team. So are we a little nervous that the, these veterans are going to tire throughout the season and this isn't going to last, so we're, we might be watching a fluke? No, see, I think everything that we're seeing leads this leads us to believe that this is not a fluke. The fact that you know his uh, the, the mailbag came in when it was a six-game streak, it's now a seven-game streak. The fact that we were not hitting with runners in scoring position the fact that some of these guys are hitting the the Headleys, the Ellsburys, the Aaron Hicks of the world, and the other guys with Didi not playing, with Sanchez not playing, with Bird not hitting during this whole streak, this this is this is something that to me can be sustainable because are they are all these veterans going to play at this at this level? No, they're not. But we're going to have the kids starting to come up, and with with Sanchez hopefully getting back and one hundred percent healthy and Didi 100% healthy, we're going to be getting support in that sense. And to me, there's going to be uh, a, you know, a nice carry through when you get those guys back. So the fact that you're still winning and not hitting with runners in scoring position is a good thing because at some point you are going to hit with runners in scoring position. So, and you're looking at the pitching. While Michael Pineda was dominant in that one start, I don't, we haven't seen dominant starting pitching per se. I mean, CC's been good. No, but we've seen, they've been getting, in, CC's, been, <laughs> CC's been great, but... They've all gotten, like I said, they all got into the seventh inning. That's all you, out of, in today's game, you don't need your starters right. to go past that. And especially with the Yankees' bullpen. So, that, for the Yankees, starters getting into the seventh inning is dominant and is good enough. I, I just think the, 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 everything that's surrounding this winning streak, to me, is, just leads me to believe that this team is good. And that this team can, when healthy, can, can go Ooh, and play. We're walking a dangerous we're walking this this is dangerous we might be getting we might be getting hey, i'm not saying great here. i'm not saying they're the 1998 yankees and gonna win dangerous gonna win. dangerous you use the word dangerous they, they they can be dangerous i mean and they know it and they know it you listen to greg bird's greg bird's uh interview at after the game last night and he was a little he was a little bit more uh off the jeter off the jeter script and and talking about good how he knows that good. this let's team, get some personality yeah, he knows that this team has confidence and they and they talk about it and that the the spring training put the Yankees on the map, and now they're kind of showing guys what they can really do, and that they they thought they were going to go out and surprise the people. They have confidence. The young guys have confidence. The veterans have confidence in the young guys. They're showing them their way. Obviously, you're seeing Headley not only take the leadership role that we said that he said he was going to do, but he's doing it off the field and on the field. Ellsbury's playing better. Aaron Hicks is playing like the Jackie Bradley Jr. This is a team that that. Seems like when you mix the, the the beautiful mix of veterans and young guys can sustain winning streaks, and I love it. I That's love one it. thing. Okay, so you just touched on it. I do feel like this team is gelling. Yeah, there's no doubt. It feels like a team. The young guys and the older guys, it feels like a, a, a cohesive team. It might not be the best team, but it at least feels like a team. Instead of a bunch of guys in a lineup. And, and think about what's happened in the past. We've touched on this. There's been a culture of winning in the Yankees in the minor leagues for the past couple years. And when you're seeing what happened last year with all of the championships that they won in the minor leagues, these guys are used to winning. The guys that are coming up are used to winning, and they're used to playing together. The Greg Birds, Aaron Judge, um, Sanchez, you know, all these guys, uh, Severino, they've played together, they've won together, they taste it. They, know what it, they know what it tastes like, they know what it feels like, and now they're trying to do it on the major league level. And I love it. They have confidence, and they're saying, why not us? Why not now? I love it. Okay, what do we have next? Whew, I'm getting too pumped up. The, uh, the next mailbag is from Zach Waters. 
I fully recognize that jinxes aren't a thing, but I can't help but be a little aggravated that Sterling was throwing the P word around very liberally starting around the fourth inning. Can we all agree that it shouldn't be a thing until at least after the fifth inning? That being said, let's get day game Mike to show up a little more often, please. So a couple things with this mailbag. First, the last, he said day game Mike, and I kind of was, I I was interested. I was like, are his splits that much better in the day versus night? And there's a little something to it. He's made 36 starts in the day, and he's got a 3.62 ERA. And he's made 66 starts at night, actually now 67 after last night. And he's got a 4.2 ERA. So for whatever reason, he likes pitching in the day a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know because it's half the starts also. So it's it's the sample sizes are also very different. To me, that those stats are pretty damn close. Yeah, definitely pretty yeah. damn close, but... But as far as the uh, – so I said I don't believe in jinxes when it pertains to no-hitters and perfect games. So I have no problem with John Sterling saying uh, – using the P word. Um, the fourth inning maybe is a little stupid, but but hey, that's the John Sterling effect. Yeah, throwing it around in the fourth inning is, is you know, even on a – to me, that's not even jinxy. That's just way too early to even talk about it because there's a lot of baseball still to happen. But I, the one thing I've talked about, announcers who are calling the game – and especially when you're on the radio, they, their job is to, you know, lay out what's happening right now. For people that may not have been with them the entire game and are listening to it, maybe they started in the third inning. The radio announcers have a unique job where they have to tell the story of the entire game, you know, at many more points than your color guys and your, your play-by-play guys on, on television as well. So, I don't know. These guys have to describe the game and what's going on. I don't mind if they, if they are saying it. It's the fans, to me. Like, I'm not saying it. I will never say the word in the middle of it because I will jinx it. And that's why. But the guys who's their job to call the game, I really don't have too much of a problem. Yeah, I, I agree, even though I don't believe in, in, in perfect games. But fourth chances. innings early just to talk about it in the first place because it's just too early. Definitely. And, and it's always fun to watch the players in the dugout not sit next to the pitcher once he's got a, a perfect game or a no-hitter yeah. going. It's always, it's always fun to watch. Okay, this one is from Brandon, and he says, if Chase Headley has another month like he's having, will Andrew man up and apologize to him? The people want to know. The easy answer is no. I, I will expect a thank you from Chase Headley for motivating him to be a good player. Okay, so that was a cop-out. But the apology is, uh, is, is something that will never happen because you believe that there's nothing to apologize for. So the, I think the real thing that the people want to know is will you acknowledge... And as of now, in my opinion, you should right now because he's been one of the catalysts and carrying this team into the winning streak. You know, there, there's a point where there needs to be a recognition and acknowledgement for Chase Headley being a good player in 2017 and playing well. It's, it's, he's having the complete opposite of last April. Last April, he was so abysmal. He didn't have an extra base hit. So whatever he did the rest of the season, his stats were going to be kind of skewed because he was so bad. Because he, we looked into the numbers, remember, and after June, he was actually a decent player. He was a slightly above average. But his stats at the end of the season looked terrible because he was terrible for two months. Now, he's so good. He's batting 400. I know it's only two weeks, but let's say he plays amazing for the next two or three weeks. His stats are going to be skewed in the other way. So he could suck for the second half of the season and still end up with with a with a really good season. So 
I don't know what the date is. I just, it's gonna it's gonna be a fluid situation. I just need to use the eye test. And if Chase Headley, I don't expect 400 the rest of the year. That's obviously unreasonable. But I just expect a slightly above average from a 13 million a year. Okay, so when we're looking at the eye test and we're looking at what's what's happening this this thus far into the season, what's your eye telling you? What is your eye telling you? What do you see from a, a, a Chase Headley? You have to see the confidence in this guy. You have to see the fact that he's producing. Obviously, yes. the four hundred is is not gonna is not gonna hold up. But you look at everything else just by the eye test, like you were saying, and he's passing it right now with flying colors. The uh, yeah, you're you're totally right. That confidence he had no confidence right. last year. Well, and granted, I mean he, he was, definitely has confidence at the plate right now, and that's a good thing. Next one is from Joe's McFly. If CC keeps pitching like this. Then wouldn't it be smart for the Yankees to bring him back on an Andy Pettit-like deal? A, uh, he he says, aka year to year. The next one kind of goes with it as well. It's from Joshua with Pineda and Sabathia pitching well so far this year. Do you see either of them back in pinstripes next year? If this trend continues, which one would you prefer? So CC's made three starts and they've all been good. One point four seven ERA, and each time out he's gone deeper and deeper into the games. First outing was five innings, then six innings, and then seven innings last time out. Pineda, after his first bad start, has been really good, and he backed up his perfect game bid with a really strong start against St. Louis. Um, I'm still taking the these guys need to prove it to me for the rest of the season before I even think about offering them a contract. Well, I think Pineda for sure. There's no doubt about that. He's got a he's really got to put an extended amount of starts together and, and show that he can be the guy with uh, that has the confidence in the, in the coaching staff and, and the team, because he has just hasn't shown it yet. And we can't go off two starts. I mean, great. He's been awesome for these past two starts, but he needs to prove it for a longer stretch of time. Sabathia is an interesting guy because we talked about this over the, over the winter about what, you know, what, what's Sabathia going to do after this? He says he wants to keep playing, but is he really going to want to go and pitch somewhere else for a one to two year deal? Is he going to get a two year deal anywhere else? Probably not. This is no, a, there's this no is a way guy, he will. Yeah, and this is a guy that I, I do see similar in the Andy Pettit or uh, Kuroda. I think this is a guy that wants to be in New York, and if he does have a good season and, they, and he proves that he can come back and, and, and pitch, you know, to the not, not like to the effectiveness over the past three starts because he's been phenomenal, but if he can, if he can be a, a good four or five guy, then you know it, he may be an attractive uh, one-year deal to bring back because I, I personally think that he does want to, if he extends his career and he keeps pitching, it's going to be here. I don't think he's going to go somewhere else, take a one-year deal and, and you know, do something all over again. I, I think that's where he's got to be comfortable in the spot. He doesn't need the money. I don't remember if you and I were talking about this on the podcast or off the podcast, maybe when we were in Tampa, but we were saying that CC, if he wants to pitch, he's only going to really want to pitch in New York. It's pro- for the Yankees, but maybe he'd pitch for the Mets. I don't know, because he built that, that giant mansion in Alpine. He lives there year-round in New Jersey, so he's not going to want to move his team to, I don't know, Oakland or L.A. or name your city that, that would sign him for a year deal. So I think he is probably saying, I, I want to pitch, but I really just want to pitch for the Yankees. Yeah, and you got to believe that he, he looked like he was having a lot of fun last night when you're watching uh, Pineda pitch. They were talking about that CC is, you know, has been getting in Pineda's ear, uh, you know, in, in counts where, or in situations where sometimes I guess Pineda would, would, you know, lose his, 
his focus, and, and you see uh, CeCe barking at him. So they obviously have some kind of a relationship. I think CeCe really likes being around these young guys, too. I think he, he also is, is feeding off of the energy that the young guys are, are putting up. Like we said, he's like the dad in the clubhouse. I think he really likes the dynamic of that, too, at, at this point in his career. And he's still proving that he can be a different type of pitcher and still have success. He's not the big, you know, 90, high 90, mid to high 90 guy, but he's still touching 92, you know, 90, and it's still effective. He's using the off speed a lot. So I agree totally. The fact that he has roots in Jersey, he's in the tri-state area, he's not going to want to pick up a go for a one-year deal. The Yankees would probably give him that one-year deal, a la like a Corota. I feel like that's that's more of a, a good comparison, just keeping giving that one-year deal until it doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah, and this pitching staff is still going to be a huge question mark as we move to next season, and especially with Caprellian needing Tommy John surgery. I think this happened after we recorded on Thursday. So that was a guy we were kind of eyeing for next year's rotation. And that's not a possibility anymore. So they're going to need to fill the spots. Uh, and maybe CC can fill that spot. Okay, this uh, Twitter question from uh, Angel, or Angel, at ABX Runs. He says, who calls the pitches for the Yanks? Is it from the dugout slash Joe or the catchers alone? Maybe a combo. Um, and I think he's asking specifically because... Since Romine has been the starting catcher, the pitching staff has looked pretty damn good. Yeah, I think there's – if you look up and down the, the coaching staff and what's happening on the Yankees with, uh, with the catcher position with uh, Girardi, Tony Pena, uh, and, then, and then having Romine as obviously the guy who was well-known for his defensive prowess behind the plate, I, I think they're formulating game plans. I'm sure Girardi has influence on the, on the pitch selection during the game. I don't think it's in every pitch. I don't think Romine's looking over to the dugout for, for pitches from Girardi, but I guarantee they talk in between or at least prep beforehand if something's not working. I, I think it's more of a fluid situation, and there's a lot of conversations happening. There's a lot of really good minds in the Yankees' dugout when it comes to defensive catcher, and obviously Sanchez is in the dugout too, so they're all talking. Uh, I think it's a combination of everything, but I don't believe that Girardi's sitting there calling pitches. No, I don't either. And first of all, it wouldn't be Girardi, wouldn't it be the the pitching coach? If anything, no. I mean, I, like Girardi's got enough stuff. Yeah, to but worry I think about. Girardi has influence on that. I mean, Tony Pena also in there as a as a catcher. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of influence on there, but I don't think it's a a, a pitch by pitch by any means. Romine's been great, and we're, the pitching staff has been great. It's obviously a small sample size, but. We saw Sanchez for the last two months of last year handle the pitching staff beautifully. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not like I'm not worried that when Sanchez comes back, this is all gonna fall apart. No, me either. I'm not worried about that at all. I think it's what they're doing is they're building a a lot of confidence in the the catcher pitcher relationship with the whole group of them. To me, that's this is a positive thing. They're finding things that work and it's not like there's a, a competition with Romine and Sanchez. It's not like there's a, a bad blood thing, whereas if McCann were there, there'd be some kind of a controversy. That's, it's, we all know who the starting catcher is. It's not, it's not a matter of discussion. So the fact that, that Sanchez is coming back, I guarantee they're all working together, formulating these game plans. You know, he's probably excited that Romine's having success and seeing and going to take you know, some of uh, what Romine's doing and implement it in his game plan when he's catching. So I think this is all positive. I think this is all a very, very good thing for the nucleus of the catching staff. Okay, what do we have for the last one? This is from Aaron Rose. He says, I need a backup team to listen to when the Yankees aren't on. Which current team has the most former Yankees on the 25-man? I caught a Pirates game and Nova was thrown to Cervelli. It made me wonder where everyone else might be. 
Damn, Nova to Cervelli Pirates game. That's like watching a 2013 Yankees yeah. game. That's I don't know if you want to keep I don't Not know if you want to keep watching those games, but <laughs> yeah, I kind of was just uh, browsing some rosters. The Pirates obviously have Nova and Cervelli. The Mariners have Cano and James Pazos. If you were a James Pazos fan. And Ben Gamble is in the minors. We uh, we kind of said maybe he'll make the Major League roster, but he did not. The Twins have our old buddy Phil Hughes and John Ryan Murphy, who's in the minors. Uh, the Marlins have Mattingly managing, which I think is uh, might get people more on the Marlins bandwagon than anything else. And the, uh, Eduardo Nunez is for the Giants. Yeah, so basically look around the Major Leagues and you're seeing a bunch of ex-Yankee scrubs or, or, uh, or cast-offs a la Cano. The... There's there's just uh there's not really that many guys to root for. I mean, it's not like we've had great teams in the re- in the you know in the recent past that that are you know pulled guys away that we were like oh man I wish he was still on the team like that that guy doesn't really exist very often unless you're looking at Cano. No, they stay with the Yankees. Yeah, unless you're looking at Cano, but no, uh, I think Mattingly is probably the one to look for the Marlins, but no, the Yankees are on enough where you can just watch baseball and be a baseball fan. Well- yeah, you'll, you'll say, yeah, that's true. I've never heard of someone saying that there's not enough yeah. baseball on. Uh, yeah, but the Marlins, it's like, yeah, I'm going to root for the Marlins. Then you're like, yeah, they're in Miami, and they're the Marlins, and it, there's 12,000 people in the stadium. I don't want to watch this. This is depressing. Yeah, I mean, if you have like Jeter as the owner, Mattingly as the manager, you're looking at something there maybe that you can, like, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're getting mad that Jeter's the owner there. I don't know, but... I still say A-Rod needs to buy the Marlins and Jeter needs to buy the Rays and they need to just have that rivalry going in Florida. I just don't think Jeter's going to buy the Rays because I think he knows that they're not going to be in St. Pete or Tampa or whatever the hell they are for very long. There's no way that team's staying there. It's just impossible. That would also be weird with that dynamic, the Yankees' presence in Tampa, wouldn't it? Yes, it would be very strange. It would be very strange. Let's also clarify that Jeter is not going to be like the George Steinbrenner of of a baseball team because he doesn't have the money to buy a baseball team. I think the Marlins were valued at like a billion dollars or something like that, which to me is asinine, but whatever. Um, so he would be sort of like the magic Johnson of, of the owners, right? He'd be the face, the celebrity face of the owners. Kind of like what he's doing with the players tribune. I mean, I don't how, how much day to day activity does he have with the players tribune? Oh, he's in there editing in the yeah. back end on the on uh, on the back end of the players. Yeah, he's tribune. making sure that all the grammar's right. Dotting, dotting the eyes or uh, Crossing the T's, making sure everything's good. I, uh, I guess I, it's always one of those things that when the Yankees aren't in the playoffs, I'll sort of jump on a bandwagon of a team that's fun or whatever. Uh, last year for me, it was the Indians because of Andrew Miller. Um, but there's not like I don't have a second team. Yeah, no, no. If there, if there's a team that I pull for in the National League, a little bit, it's the Dodgers only because I used to watch them in spring training when I was a kid. But I have no idea what the Dodgers are doing right now. If there's a game on, I'll watch like an inning or two, but and watch Rich Hill get pulled mm-hmm. for blisters, and uh, and then just thank my lucky stars that he is not a New York Yankee. Yep. Okay, thank you to everybody who submitted mailbag questions. If you want to do so, go to bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast or call the voicemail line 646-480-0342. You can tweet the show at Yankees Podcast. My Twitter handle is at Andrew underscore Rotondi. Scott's is at Scott Reinen. And remember to use the code SWEEP if you want 25% off in the fan shop. Scott, anything before we get out of here? 
Yeah, just the last thing that we didn't really touch on uh, this because it happened after our last show. The the Caprillion injury. Every everybody's kind of up in arms about you know what's what's going to happen with him. He's going under the knife, going to get Tommy John surgery, and I think what we we look at this and we're we're seeing it's unfortunate, but it's probably going to be the best case scenario for him because in all honesty, I think we were going to be looking at injury after injury after injury after injury for this guy if you were to if you were to stay with it. So. I think it's honestly long-term. If we're looking down the road, this is probably the best thing for him to do. And as Yankee fans, we're, we should be you know, not happy about it, but, but at least uh, you know, that he's on the right path to, to hopefully fix the arm rather than prolong these injuries and, and us deal with it. Happy that it's happening now and not after he's made five starts in the major exactly, leagues. Exactly. And it's kind of one of those things that it was a slap in the face or, or a wake-up to reality in the sense that, oh, right, these are prospects, and this is a, this is fickle. This could all crumble very quickly with a few injuries or a few guys not panning out. So kind of like a rude awakening. But that's why it's so great that they've amassed so much talent because 10 years ago, if we had James Caprellian, he was our he was our only prospect. And if he didn't work out, we didn't have any prospects. Yeah. Brian Taylor. Yeah. All right, everyone, we'll talk to you. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.